0: There are three great areas in the Kalamazoo area to ride horses. Fort Custer is 36 miles from my home. Rust Forest is 19 miles from my home. Yankee Springs is 53 miles from my home. These are great places to ride horses here in Michigan. My favorite place is just a little ways away. It's about 1,600 miles away. It's the Rocky Mountains. And, of course, there's nothing that can compare to riding horses in the Rockies. You ride in the brisk, fresh air from 7,000 to 10,000 feet and you're climbing those steep mountain trails and crossing deep water, that's something you frankly can't experience here. When we come to a text like Daniel chapter 10, we come to a text that's like the Rocky Mountains. There's no place like them in all of the Bible. There are prophetic truths that are found in this 10th chapter that are not found anywhere else in Scripture. Many believe that this is Daniel's greatest vision. We certainly know it's his last vision, because this 10th chapter is the final vision that actually goes on through chapter 12. These are powerful chapters. They're important chapters, and we want to carefully understand them. But when this all kicks off in the 10th chapter of Daniel, it's a very mysterious chapter. Dr. McGee said, this is an eerie passage. The fact of the matter is, in a week that some celebrate Halloween, this is a real eeriness in a real sense and in a biblical sense. It's one of the most mysterious chapters in all of the Bible. Because in this particular chapter of Scripture, we're given by God a rare behind-scenes glimpse of satanic and demonic forces that are at work in world history. Now, I want you to think about that, ladies and gentlemen, the next time you go to the polls. When you go to the polls to vote, there are forces at work there in an unseen world. When you stand in a line ready to place your vote for the next president of the United States, there are a lot of forces that you don't see that are working there trying to determine that vote. Paul said in Ephesians that there are things that we wrestle against which are not flesh and blood. There is a satanic warfare that's real. It's out to capture the minds and hearts and souls of men, particularly in world government. We also, as we look into this text, see that Daniel is still active in his older years of life. He was still praying, still desiring to know more of God's word and will. At this point in Daniel's life, he must have been in his late 80s. Some say he was 92 years old at the time you come to the events of chapter 10. Yet that did not stop Daniel from serving God or being used by God. It's so great to see people who are getting on in years that still love to serve the Lord and use their gifts and talents and abilities for the glory of God. What a range John has. Have you ever heard a voice that's like that? Now he'll tell you he's probably 50 years old, but he's not. The fact of the matter is, he still serves the Lord. It's wonderful to see people who are still serving the Lord, still being faithful, still have an intense passion to know God's word and God's program. And that's why God revealed these kinds of remarkable things to Daniel. Now, there's a lesson that we see as we go through this passage, and that is that God reveals specific things about Israel to one who had an intense desire to want to know truth. And God does this in regard to the prayer of his people. And one thing that he wants his people to realize is they are in serious satanic war. I want you to understand something. There is a major war going on right now between God's world and Satan's world, and you're in it. Whatever God wants to do in you, there's a war going on to keep you from doing that. Whatever God wants to accomplish through you, you better believe there's an intense war to keep you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. Now, a key verse of this chapter is the 14th verse of Daniel chapter 10, which says, Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days of the future. This is a critical verse because what Daniel is shown here is what is going to happen in Israel's future. As Israel moves toward the end, this is what is going to happen. And Daniel is a man who leaves us a legacy of one who wanted to carefully understand God's revelation. In fact, these final three chapters of his pen show that he was very careful to understand what God was doing and what God was accomplishing. Now there are three headings that I want to show you that break down this text quite nicely. We want to look at it and try to understand it as best we can. These are mysterious things, but hopefully we can make them understandable. First of all, you have the prophetic message that's revealed to Daniel in verses 1 to 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the one message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did... Meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now, in the third year of Cyrus' reign, there's some discrepancy over exactly the year that may have been. Some say 536 BC, others 534 BC. It's based on the fact of when Cyrus actually took office. He was in the process of overtaking the Babylonian world in 539 BC. But somewhere around there, Daniel was given a vision and a message concerning a great conflict concerning Israel. This comes about four years after the vision he had in chapter 9. So he's been about four years now since he received that vision we saw last time we were together. Now in the first year of Cyrus' reign, according to Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus permitted Israel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Daniel apparently had not gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Daniel was old. He was in a position of political power. He apparently didn't return, but he was one who certainly prayed. And he prayed for the completion of the rebuilding of the temple and ultimately of Jerusalem. And probably Daniel was sensing that there was some people in Israel who were in real danger. From the multitudes of people who had permission to go back to Jerusalem, not many went. And then when they got back there, there were some negative things that were happening. According to Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, there was a rebuilding that was taking place, but there were a lot of backbiting threats. People were opening their mouths against Israel and against the fact that they were back there rebuilding. There was a lot of talk taking place. As a result of that, some of the Israelites were becoming burdened. Some of the Israelites were becoming concerned. There was real danger, so Daniel prayed for three weeks. He did not eat any of the fine meat, drink any of the wine, or use any ointment. Just because times were somewhat good for him did not mean he didn't sense the spiritual warfare that the other people were in. So Daniel knew that it was important for him to maintain the ministry that he had for Israel, and that was a powerful prayer ministry. Daniel senses there's a great spiritual conflict and war, and he senses the need to pray, and that's exactly what he does. More than likely, Daniel had anticipated that in the deliverance of Israel from the Babylonian power and allowing under the Persian power to go back to Jerusalem, he probably thought the Messiah was going to come and do it and set them free, but the Messiah hadn't come yet. So there were still unanswered questions in Daniel's mind about the whole prophetic program of God. Now when it comes to the subject of these types of fasts in the Bible, there are 64 records of fastings in Scripture. There are 43 of them found in the Old Testament. 20 of them have to do with corporate fasting, where Israel as a nation was called to fast. And 23 of them have to do with individuals who had some type of fast. That doesn't mean Daniel stopped eating food altogether. It's just he didn't eat the fine food, nor drink the typical things that he drank. When you go to the New Testament, there are 21 fasts in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are 12 fasts fastings in the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke when Jesus Christ was here on earth. There are seven fastings that are described in the book of Acts, and there are two in the epistles. If we examine all of these passages and take the time to do that, we'll discover that there are about six reasons why somebody would just block out some time and would not eat or drink, just spend time with God. For example, one of the reasons is a sign of sorrow. Someone is very sorrowful for what they've done, so they just get alone with God, they block out time, they don't even take time to eat, to confess it. Then that was a sign of repentance and seeking forgiveness. Sometimes there would be those who would block out time to be alone with God because they would repent and they would ask God to forgive them. There was a third reason why people would block out some time just to spend time with God, and that was to ask God To answer specific prayer, it was a real focused time on prayer that when they were asking God to do something. Fourthly, to ask God's presence to aid them in accomplishing something. Fifthly, as an act of ceremonial worship, there were certain days and festival days where they fasted. And finally, things related to ministry when they wanted to know things such as who do we choose for the next disciple or apostle. There were moments when there were times set aside just to focus on prayer. Now, Daniel's motive for his prayer is that he wants to have victory over the spiritual warfare and he wants to know what's going on. So he was focused on prayer. We could say he was really fasting in view of uh, reason number three. Daniel sensed that his spiritual battle was on and he wanted to pray so that he could see victory and that the people of God could see victory. I want to talk about that just for a moment because Daniel could have said, I'm old. My life is over, so let the young guys worry about what's going to happen next. I've got a good life. I'm a prime minister here, highly esteemed. I make a phenomenal living. I live in luxury. Daniel could have said, Let the other boys take care of the problem. I've had my time in the sun, let them shine. But you don't find Daniel doing that. This was a man who still took the things of God personally and seriously. He's a man who still felt his responsibility to go before God and do what he could do. And even though he was not young in age, he could pray. And that's what we find him doing. We find him praying. I have an old Scottish preacher that I've read some writings of. His name is Andrew Bonar. Andrew Bonar was a friend of D.L. Moody. And Moody just uh, appreciated Bonar's ability to handle the scriptures. And Bonar became known as a prayer warrior. He died in 1892. And he was known to be a man of prayer. There was an evangelist who went to Andrew Bonar's daughter and said, I'd like to see the church where your father preached. So the daughter took this evangelist to this church and showed him where her father was known to preach in Glasgow, Scotland. And she said to him, oftentimes on a Saturday or something... He would take me to the church, and he'd have me sit out in the lobby. And she said he'd go into the sanctuary. And I'd be wondering, what in the world is he doing in there? And she said I would look in there, and I'd see him first sitting over here. And then he'd be sitting over there. And then he'd be up in the front. And then he'd be in the back. She said it all of a sudden dawned on me what he was doing is he was trying to remember where people typically sat in the sanctuary, and he was sitting in the seats that they were sitting in normally, and he was praying for them. He sensed that those people needed his prayers. So he would go into the sanctuary, try to remember where they were, and he would try to pray for them. Oh, we need that. We need people who take prayer seriously. We need older people who realize we're in a battle, in a war, and they'll pray for this ministry. If we're going to move forward, if we want God to do great things in this church, for this church in Kalamazoo, we need people who will pray and who will get God's power through prayer. We need elders and deacons and older people and younger people who will come and pray for the blessings of God. And whenever God wants to do something, you can be sure of this, there is a war to stop it. And Daniel sensed that warfare even though he isn't there in Jerusalem. He's not there in Israel. He senses there is a war to stop the program of God, so we find him praying. Which brings us to the second heading, the prophetic message is revealed to Daniel by a heavenly angel. Notice verse 4 on the twenty-fourth day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphats. his body was also like barrel, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. On the 21st day of Daniel's morning, this would be the 24th of April. We're given specific detail here. He's standing alongside the tigress. Now, it's speculated as to why he's standing alongside the tigress, but probably he was there on some form of government business, but this is no coincidence that this angel comes to him there. An angel approaches Daniel, and he appears in the form of a man, Daniel and his companions are physically on this bank of the Tigris on April 24th, probably around 534 B.C. These are exact places, these are exact times, these are exact documentation of when this happened. And what that proves, ladies and gentlemen, is that the information here was not written later after these things happened. This book was written by Daniel. He's looking into the future very precisely, and he's writing these numbers down with pinpoint accuracy. Now, as Daniel was along the Tigris, some have believed that it was Jesus Christ who appears to him here, but I do not think that for two contextual reasons. First of all, Christ cannot be hindered by any demon, and this one will tell him in verse 13 that he would have come earlier, but he had been withstood for 21 days. So there was 21 days where he had been hindered by a demon from getting there. And secondly, Christ does not need the help of Michael to defeat evil forces, which this one testifies later in the chapter, verse 21, Michael will come and ultimately help him. What is described here is a very heavenly and holy angel who's very Christ-like. And certainly, the name Michael means who is like God. Angels that are holy have a Christ-like look about them. Holy angels certainly reflect the glory of God. Now, the Tigris River is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Once here, and once in Genesis, it was one of those rivers that flowed from Eden. One time, this river that Daniel's on had been a river that was free from sin and misery, but now this spot is a war zone. The Tigris and the Euphrates, both rivers which one time flowed out of Eden, are now both war zone areas. But why does God see fit to name the fact that he's on the Tigris when this vision appears? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it would be this very area where Alexander the Great would conquer the last Persian king, whose name was Catomanos, 335 to 330 BC at the Battle of Arbela, He would defeat him on the Tigris and Greece would take over the world. What basically God is doing here for Daniel is he's saying you're standing on the very spot where the fate of the Persians is going to end and the next power, the power of Greece, is going to begin. Now, when you look at the description of the heavenly being that appears to Daniel, there are seven facts that are graphic brought out about him. He's clothed in linen. That symbolizes purity and immaculate holiness. This is something you see often, which resembles that both in the priesthood and ultimately in the appearance we get of Jesus Christ in Revelation. Secondly, he was having a waist that was girded with a pure golden belt. This belt was typically two to six inches wide. As they wore those robe type things, they would put a belt around their mid waist to kind of hold that in. Thirdly, his face was like beryl. That word is tarshish, which describes a yellowish gold luster that is absolutely beautiful. His body was like beryl. His face was like lightning, which means it was brilliant. It was shining. It says that his eyes were like flaming fire, penetrating. Ability to look with his eyes beyond normal things. Ability to judge. His feet were like polished bronze, which indicates that he was glowing and shining. He had the ability to stamp out any enemy. And his voice was like two his voice was strong. It was deep. It was penetrating. Now, verse 7 says that Daniel is the only one who saw this vision. The other men who were with him, since they were in the presence of something very powerful, and they ran to hide, but Daniel's the only one who saw it. It's the same kind of thing that happened to Paul, who was Saul on the road to Damascus. He was the only one who actually saw it. The other people knew there's something powerful going on here, although Daniel's the only one in this context who knew what it was. Ladies and gentlemen, faithful people who have a passion to know the Word of God can know and understand and see things that no one else can see. I believe some people see the deep things of God others never see. They sense there's power there. They sense there's something very profound there, but they just can't seem to get it. That's what happened there. You'll notice at the end of verse 8, Daniel was left alone. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Now, that's not a bad thing. He's left alone. Because in the context of being left alone, he's about to see a remarkable vision of God. He had no color or strength left in him. That's what he says. Daniel is seeing something very heavenly. He's seeing something very holy. This is the most godly man on earth. This is a man who's highly esteemed in heaven, and he's left with no power. And, ladies and gentlemen, if a giant like Daniel is left with no power, as if he's almost dead, how would we, who are spiritual dwarfs when we compare ourselves to him, be left? See, this idea that I'm just going to strut up into the presence of God. I'm going to just waltz into the presence of God without any form of humility. And I'll just tell him a thing or two is not found in the scriptures. When someone is in the presence of God, they're bowed before him. You know, I find something interesting too. The fact that he was left alone in verse 8 is what ultimately leads to him getting the vision. So many people want to get together all the time. May I suggest, how about you being alone with God? Ever thought about that? People want to run together and talk together, and there's a place for that. Certainly fellowship is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to get together with the people of God and spend time together. But godly people don't mind being alone with God either. There's nothing wrong with saying, look, I just need to get alone with the Lord here. In crisis moments, a very wise thing to do is to get alone with God. It's funny that, actually it's tragic, that in many crisis moments, it's the last thing people think about doing, getting alone with God. But that's where real resolution to life's problems and dilemmas can be discovered. According to verse 9, As soon as Daniel heard the words of the angel, they were soothing, and Daniel went into a deep sleep with his face on the ground. I find this so interesting about Daniel. He had no strength in himself. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is no strength in ourselves for victory. There's no strength within ourselves to be able to accomplish anything for God. The strength is found in him. And so when we're in a right relationship with him and when we're pursuing an understanding of his word and when we're lining up our lives in accordance with the word of God, that's where we found the strength of God. That's where we'll find it. That's where Daniel found it. That brings us to the third heading, the angel comforts Daniel that his prayer has been answered. Now notice verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I now have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me I stood up trembling now there are four specific comforting actions that the angel takes here regarding Daniel first of all the angel encourages Daniel there are three specific things that he did to encourage Daniel he physically touched him He didn't hurt him, verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He verbally praises him, you're a man, Daniel, of high esteem in the heavenlies, and he verbally informs him that he had been sent to give a careful understanding of things to Daniel. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see what it is that gives strength to people? It is a careful understanding of the word of God. This is the best way to get somebody back on their feet. Get them into the word of God. Give them a careful, accurate understanding of the word of God. It's what can bring them back around. Put them back on their feet. Get them moving forward again. Don't sit there and let them go on and on and on about life's problems. Show them the word of God and direct them to the answers that are found in the scriptures. This is a great way to get somebody back on their feet. You show them that you care about them. And in the context of that, you say, here's the word of God, and here's what you need to do. The second comforting action is the angel explains his presence to Daniel. Verse 12, then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God... Your words were heard, and I've come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days of the future. Now the angel informs Daniel that from the first day he started praying, which was 21 days ago, God had decided that he was going to answer his prayer. Daniel wanted to know when the Messiah was going to come. Daniel wanted to know when this prophecy was going to be fulfilled for Israel. And from the first day that Daniel got alone with God to start praying, God was going to answer that prayer. However, some demon, an evil demon of Persia called Prince of Persia, the Prince of the Kingdom of Persia, had prevented him for 21 days. This angel that was sent to give Daniel answers had been prevented from getting there for 21 days until Michael, another angel, came to help him. Now I want you to notice the language that's used here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia and Michael, there are rank structures in the angelic world. There's a lot of mystery here, but there's a lot of truth here. Demons are highly organized. God's angels are highly organized. There's order and organization in the angelic realm. There was a three-week satanic war which lasted in the unseen world for 21 days in regard to answering Daniel's prayer. That's why Daniel kept praying. He wanted an answer to this prayer. He didn't know that the answer had been granted to him on day one. He still hadn't seen the answer yet. So for 21 days, he kept praying. And you better believe Satan did not want this prophecy revealed. Because this prophecy showed Israel what would happen in the latter days and it shows Israel the future as you'll see it unfold in the next few weeks and it shows that one day Satan will be doomed and the Messiah will reign. There was no way that this evil Satan wanted that prayer answered and yet Daniel was going to get his answer. When you look at this verse verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And then you look at verse 20. Then he said, do you understand why I come to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece will come. We see the necessity of praying for those who are in political authority over us. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a serious, demonic, Satanic warfare that's being waged in the political world. This is an unusual text of scripture. What God's letting us see here is that there are satanic forces at work in world history. A hatred toward the President of the United States is far more than just a difference of political viewpoints. There are forces of evil at work that literally are out to destroy anything that's righteous. Now, I'm one who believes in territorial angels. Here's what I mean by that. I believe there are angels, satanic and godly angels, that are assigned to various places in various parts of the world. You can just make a general observation when you go to various parts of the world, you have these various cults and you have these various religions that are demonic. Well, who's behind all that? There's some evil force that's behind all that. I have often said that I believe it's true in the United States. I think states perhaps have territorial angels that are responsible for problems. I know just from traveling in three different states where I've had ministries, One is Michigan, another is Indiana, the Chicago area, another one is Idaho, that there are three major problems that seem to stand out that plague the different states. I think Michigan is sex, I think Indiana is materialism, and I think Idaho is lying. And now that's not to say the other things aren't there, but there is something that seems to be prevailing in that arena. We do know from the seven churches of Revelation that there are angels involved in the church. I believe that when he says to the angel of the church, he's talking about the angel that's assigned to the church. Now, it's interesting to me that Daniel's key to growth here was not that he would pray about demons. God's revealing To Daniel that there are demons that are warring against the program of God. But Daniel's key to growth is praying for an ability to understand the word of God. You'll notice that Daniel does not go around cleansing Israel of demons. Or going around claiming an area for God. I'm going to claim this land for God. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's carefully praying. And he's asking God to give him wisdom. So that he can understand his program, his word, and his will. And part of the program of God at the present involves demonic warfare. Satan has a vast network of demons that are out to stop your progress. You may have been praying for that son or daughter for years, and it doesn't seem like your prayers are even being heard. You better believe they're being heard, but there's an evil demonic force that does not want that prayer answered. You keep praying. I don't care if it's 21 days or 21 years. You keep praying because there are forces that are at work trying to stop the program of God. And so Daniel learns a lesson here. Sometimes the prayer is going to be answered, but there's a war that's going on, a struggle that's going on in the answering of it. The third comforting action is the angel strengthens Daniel, verses 15 to 19. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such my Lord? I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen, This attitude that Daniel has, he recognizes that he's in the presence of a very powerful angel. Holy things, heavenly things. He's being given insight here into mysterious things. He had no strength. He couldn't even believe this angel would be talking to him. Now, that's a far cry from those religious frauds who say they get visions from God almost like saying they eat a bowl of cereal. Daniel, according to verse 15, was left speechless. And there are people today who just strut around, saying they're strong. I got a vision from God. God told me. God told me this. Daniel was weak. When this was really done by God, he was humble. He was without strength. And the thing that could strengthen him was the word of God. And the fourth comforting action is the angel explains his ministry to Daniel. Verse 20, then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. And there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. The mystery is this. He said, Daniel, do you understand this? There is a fierce satanic battle that is underway right now against Israel. There is a fierce battle for the people of God. And you have two main powers that are at work right now that want to destroy the people of God. You have Persia which he'll discuss in chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, and you have Greece, which is the next power, which will be discussed in chapter 11, verses 5 to 35. The implication of verse 20 is as soon as Persia will fall, there's another power, another demonic force that wants to come in and take over the land, and that is going to be Greece. In other words, he says, Daniel, the Messiah isn't coming just yet. There's a program taking place. There's a war that's going on. But he says in verse 21, I'll tell you how it ends. And what you'll see in the next couple of chapters is that he will tell Daniel exactly how it's going to end. May I leave us with three practical applications from this text. When we pray, we need to know there are great conflicts between God and Satan in regard to answer to your prayer. When we pray, we need to know there are great conflicts between God and Satan in answer to your prayer. You keep praying. God may have already decided he's going to answer your prayer, but there's a war going on with that individual or with that person or with that situation that you're praying about. There's a war that's going on. You keep praying. There's a conflict there. Secondly, Evil powers will do everything possible to keep you from a right relationship with God and knowledge of God's will for your life. When you decide you want to do what's right, you will discover there's a major war that goes on. Let's say, for example, you say, you know what, I need to be more involved in church. I need to be plugged into the things of God in church. The moment you say that, you'll have conflict. I need to be more faithful in this area. This is an area I really need to be faithful in. You'll find conflict. I need to be more disciplined in prayer. The moment you say that, you'll find conflict. You see, evil powers will do everything they can to upset us from accomplishing what God would have us to accomplish. Thirdly, the key to victory is prayer and an intense desire to know the Word of God. It's a very simple formula. You want to be victorious in life, be a people of prayer, and be dedicated to the book. Understanding the precious word of God precisely and accurately is what gives victory. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to understand something. What I'm about to tell you, Satan's going to do everything he can right here, right now, to keep you from responding. There is only one way for any of us to be right with a holy God. That is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not by religion. It's not by church. It's not by any human merit at all. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. And you need to acknowledge to God that you're believing only in Jesus Christ to save you. And I want to tell you, there's a war for your mind and soul that's very real. But you can have victory today if you'll believe on him. May we pray. If you're here and you've not trusted Christ, move through that door this very moment. You pray something like this, God, I'm a sinner, I admit it. And I thank you that Jesus Christ died on that cross for me. And right now I place all of my faith in him to be my personal Savior. Our Father, we see this unusual passage of Scripture and we realize... There is an unseen battle for minds and hearts that's taking place. There's a hatred for Israel. There are forces that would seek to destroy her, and there are forces that would seek to destroy us. I pray that we would be people who would walk very circumspectly, wise, not as fools.